Tonight, I continue with this almost endless series, which is caused by us analyzing, studying the teachings of Jesus. Many, many years ago, about 15 years ago, I was doing a similar series relying on the first gospel from the Bible, the gospel of Matthew. And then, because it had great impact on people, a couple of years later, I did the same with the Gospel of Mark, which is one of the shortest, if not the shortest. And then, after about 10 years, 11 years, 12 years, people asked for resuming this series, because Jesus is always producing a very strong effect on people, either black or white. Like people either like Jesus, love him for his uncompromising 120% style, or they uh, are turned off by him. You know, we are in the middle of a paragraph where Jesus speaks about the devil as a direct reality. And he says that he is fighting with the devil and this, you know, this defines our whole life. And... If people, there are many, many people for whom this is the one of the biggest elephants in the room. Like, I don't want to assist to some talks where I am being uh, talked about demons, you know, because then some people know that they can immediately identify a lot of demonic influences in their own lives. And then what to do? No, if you are a marijuana smoker and you say that marijuana is a demon, then basically you have the choice. Either give up marijuana this second and don't touch it again for the rest of your life, or agree to the fact that uh, sometimes I'm dancing with the demons. You know, it's okay. You know, like agree to a certain degree of sloppiness or negligence. Well, you can say, yeah, maybe there are demons, maybe Jesus was right, maybe Swamiji is also right. But, uh, you know what, I'm not St. Francis of Assisi, and sometimes I'm doing some shit in my life. And that's that, and that's it, you know. And then you have to put up with it. Then you have to agree, I'm actually cavorting with the demonic. And nobody likes that. No, because it makes you... Whip yourself, it makes you take measures, you know. And then people prefer this sooth saying thing, like don't tell me anything which I don't want to hear. But that's the most incredible form of lack of discrimination, egoism, blindness. There was a, I remember a story which comes from the political realm that in the country where I was born and where I lived the first many years of my life, the first half of my life until now, the dictatorial family, Ceausescu and his wife, they were visited at some point from by an Indian guru who was not a very spiritual person, but he was a guy endowed with a form of clairvoyance on Ajna Chakra. And uh, they asked him about what can he see about their future. And he told them, you are going to be assassinated in a holiday. No? He, he predicted to them exactly what happened 
10, 15 years later. And the wife of the dictator, she was so angry that she expelled him from Romania in 24 hours. She said, get to the first airplane and scram out of... Like, what should I tell you if that's what I see? If that's what's going to happen, you want me to tell you something nice? Your children will be beautiful and will live long? What sort of nonsense is this? You prefer lies? Like, what if... If, if somebody would have told me, you're going to be assassinated, I would say, why? And what can I do to prevent that from happening? And how should I change my behavior to make myself dear to those people? And if it's possible, sometimes maybe it's not possible. But at least if you can see that that possibility exists in the future, how can I prevent it? Is there something like maybe if I'm fasting every Tuesday for 24 hours, if I'm not eating food and not drinking water, maybe I'll pay that karma and it's not going to happen or it's going to be much more soft when it will happen. So it's like, no, but no. This woman who was a very blind, egocentric woman, she just hated the messenger. You know, the man who brought the bad news, he said, she said, scram out of my country or I'm going to have you killed. You know, it's like, get out. I just told you the truth. It's the same with these things. If somebody is telling you, you smoke nicotine and nicotine tobacco in the 16th century was considered to be a demonic drug and people who had nicotine, they were like possessed by the demons. Then you don't like to hear that. Because the only solution, again, is to say, I quit tobacco today, because now I realize it's not good, or I'm just going to ignore it and, yeah, you know, I'm not perfect, I'm not Virgin Mary, yeah, yeah, I smoke tobacco from time to time, kiss my ass, all of you who don't like me for that. This is just a hurt ego. This is just a reaction coming from a hurt ego. It's not somebody who wants to improve themselves or to do something about things. If there is a solution, if there is a solution, Jesus himself did not react positively to some challenges which were given to him when he was about to be crucified. No, like people, there were some people who asked him, come on, come on, give us another one, make a miracle right now, maybe we'll believe you. And Jesus told them, the time of miracles has finished. Fuck you all, I've done them until yesterday. If you didn't see them until yesterday and if you didn't get the message, now you're not going to get anything because I'm not like a tamed bear with a ring up my nose that the gypsy is beating with a stick and makes me dance like in a circus, you know. I'm not a dancing bear to just do miracles because you have a problem with believing me. That's not the way it comes. No? So, that's why, yes, sometimes there is no solution when people say, come on, Jesus, you just had to do one more miracle. What's one more miracle for you? And then maybe they wouldn't have crucified you. Maybe they would have believed you. But that was not possible. And it's not because Jesus was not trying to improve himself or the situation, but simply because there were some rules of the game which he knew and which made that this kind of compromise was impossible. But otherwise, no, people when hearing some things that, hey, this is demonic, no, 
when people are possessed even by alcohol, that's a demonic force. It's a dark force. You know, when I was a kid, my father, fortunately, taught me the following little story. That there was this man and a demon. My father was not a very religious person, practically not at all. So this story with the demon was put in a very mild way, like it was not a very spooky, esoteric thing. You know? And he said some bad idea came to his thoughts and said, beat up your mom. And he said, what the heck is this coming to my mind? I shall not beat up my mother, you know, like that's a ridiculous thing to even think. I don't want to do that. I mean, even if I occasionally may be upset at her, I definitely don't want to beat her up. Then the voice came into his mind, rape your sister. He again, he did. What are you talking about? It's like, I definitely don't want to rape my sister. You know, it's like, I don't want to rape anybody, but my sister probably the least of all of them. You know, it's like, what are you talking about? It's like, I don't know, where do these crazy ideas come from? And then the third suggestion was, drink a bottle of whiskey. And after he drank the bottle of whiskey, he raped his sister and he beat up his mother. That's a very suggestive story. It's a very important story, which shows you that actually alcohol is a very bad demon. Because many people under alcohol, they did that and worse. And then they were wanting to have an excuse. But in most codes of laws used in Europe, if you do, if, for example, somebody rapes somebody else while being drunk, that's not an excuse. The fact that you are drunk does not excuse you. The fact that it's not a mitigating circumstance, as, it happen, as it's called in justice language. It's an aggravating circumstance. You get 50% extra punishment because you did it when you're drunk. Because you should be intelligent enough to know that when you get drunk, you can do diabolic things and lose your self-control. And thus, why would you want to go there and do that? So, uh, in this way, what we are talking, we are in the middle of a very bitter dialogue here, where you see again and again this. Many people in this new age subculture, they want us to talk like we are all wonderful and we are all one and everything is nice and uh, we are all uh, splendid the way we are and everything. And every time when you tell them, yeah, but if you smoke marijuana or whatever, you are possessed by some entities, which I did not invent. It's not my statement. It is stated by great shamans who have witnessed this phenomena very clearly. And then, you know, then people are not happy about it. Because as soon as somebody comes with sin, demons, darkness, the only attitude is to have some Manipura and to stand against it. To simply say, no, I will not do this. I will not agree that this is happening to me. But this is a combative reaction. And today, the society is so Zvadistanistic and so loose that most people don't even have this zest to stand up and say, I never thought that coming to yoga, I will discover 
that we are in the middle of a spiritual war. The very idea that the angels and the demons are fighting for your soul and the outcome is that you go to hell or you go to paradise is very disturbing for some people because it makes them stand on their toes. It's like, okay, so you mean I cannot just go in a park and drink uh, three bottles of beer and be negligent and sloppy and hippie? No, you cannot. You cannot live your life like that. You should not live your life like that. You should live your life engaged, like on. You are in the middle of an 80-year adventure. You don't know if you had previous lives or next lives. Maybe. In yoga we say so, but... I cannot prove it scientifically. If reincarnation would have been proven scientifically, we'd not keep arguing about it. Until today, reincarnation, for example, has not been proven scientifically. So you don't know really 100% like the mobile telephone, you know, it works, it works, it works. You don't need the demonstration is that mobile telephones work. You use them on a daily basis and they work. It's not an object of faith. But if you had previous lives or if you are going to have next lives, only people who reach at the level of Milarepa and Buddha and Ramakrishna and the likes of them, only those people see the actual truth. And thus, until that time, what you know is that you have an average of 80 years right now. There's probably nobody in this room who is younger than 25. Or if you are younger, you are probably not much younger than 25. You know, and that means if you have an 80 year window, the bad news is that one third of it is gone already. For some of you, half of it is gone already. For some of you, two thirds of it or three quarters of it are gone already. And the clock is still ticking and your life is flying away. And then the question is, if I have this window of opportunity and in this window I could go to paradise or go to hell, have my soul saved or have my soul doomed, if that thing really exists, oh boy, time is short, you know, the problem is really relevant, the problem is important. It's not like, ah, you know, take it easy. What take it easy? The clock is ticking. And the fate of your own soul is concerned. You can say, yeah, but I don't care, everything for everything goes. But then take a finger, put it on the table, it's my favorite example. Take the biggest hammer in the house and smash your bones to splinterines. And see if everything goes. How can you say that when the slightest pain makes you go to hell and hate everything around you and suffer and all the life is becoming dark and bitter? Of course you don't want to go to hell. Of course you don't want to experience demonic things. It's completely childish and unaware, the one who is negligent about this and says, ah, maybe it doesn't matter. No. That's what Elena Ceausescu said. Maybe it won't happen that I will be assassinated. Maybe this guy is just eating shit. And she got assassinated. She should have listened more carefully. Maybe she could have become a nicer person and then she could have been just deported instead of assassinated. Maybe it would have been a lesser thing that happened to her. Instead of getting 10 bullets in her head, she could have just been shipped to Chile 
or some other place, because some of the communist dictators from Eastern Europe, they took political asylum in Chile. It's not a coincidence that I mentioned that. No? Like I think the Bulgarian guy, or, or in Cuba, you know, in Cuba, something, you know. So that's why I say, so here we have this very bitter pill, which every time when I get to it, you know, it's like Jesus spoke about it. He acted on it practically, pragmatically, every day. This story starts with the fact that he sees Jesus was driving out a demon that was mute. And then the demon left and the man spoke. Did you ever think that if you have a relative or a friend in the family who is dumb, he's, he or she is possessed by a demon? Because that's what Jesus thinks. That it's not a medical cause. Even if you consider it a medical cause, the cause behind the medical cause is a state of demonic possession. Jesus would have been hated and is hated by most of the modern doctors. Because what Jesus thinks about health and healing is a complete nonsense and madness for the modern doctors. And here is the case, you know, so it's like Jesus lives in a world where the interference between the human and the demonic, between the light and the darkness, is happening on a daily basis. And he can click his fingers and make differences at it. And he is teaching his disciples to follow in his footsteps and to learn this fine art of prayer, exorcising and other such phenomena. And sometimes they don't succeed and they ask him why you do you succeed and we don't succeed and this kind of thing. And again, when living in this environment, it becomes very difficult for some people. But I'm telling you, because I have been there, I have been in many spiritual environments in my life. No? And... When you have a conflict, your Manipura chakra can choose to stand up and fight or not. Like for example, I remember a time in my life you know, when I went into some difficult stage of a relationship. There was a very complex situation. We are, I, that was happening during the communist years in Romania, when there was a lot of persecution and something, and I went through some sort of psychological turn of mind, that there was a period of my life while I had been a very strong spiritual practitioner. And then I felt I, I could do yoga for you, like in a class, as a teacher. But for myself in my own home, I could not. And somebody tried to offer some sort of psychological solution to it. Like, oh, maybe your mother didn't love you and you actually hate you. Or some funny stuff like this. Which I have never resonated with. Like, it's always been very, very low on my ladder of explanations and solutions to things. And then, at that time, I met with my yoga teacher, who was freshly coming out of prison. 
he had been put by the communists in prison and I did not have the opportunity to talk with him. And I told, and after he came and so on, after a week or two or three, I told him, by the way, now that you are out, I'm experiencing some funny stage of my life where I feel like I'm paralyzed by this. And he just looked at me, you know, and he said, these are just some fucking demons who try to prevent you from doing yoga because they want to ruin your soul. It made my day. It was healing instantaneously because something in me came and said some fucking demons. Oh boy, I'm going to do three times more yoga tomorrow. You know, it's like just to rub it in their face, you know. But some people are not like that. Some people don't have this Manipura where they go like, hi, there is a struggle on. Okay, let's see it coming. Let's have it coming. You know, let's fight the battle. No, like they feel challenged by it. Uh, if your mother didn't love you when you were, she was breastfeeding you or something, she's just a stupid bitch and what can you do about it? It happened 30 years ago. Now it's too late to do anything about it, you know? That's the difference between psychology and theology. In theology, you are struggling with demons who are trying to make you go to hell and lose your life uselessly. Then, those who feel responsible, they stand up and they say, I'm not going to waste my life. No, I'm not going to. It's unacceptable. And every day which passes, I'm getting more angry and more angry and more angry until one day I'll explode like an atomic bomb and start doing something about it. So, that's why I say this way of looking upon the world is more on Manipura, is more combative. It's more like I live in a world where I have to make choices and life is a struggle and I have to fight this struggle and I have to win. Others, that's why it's not very popular nowadays, are like, yeah, peace, brothers, and make love, not war and all that. Okay, then you definitely don't want to hear about the demons and all that. Because with them there is a perpetual state of war. And there is no break at any time. So Jesus doing this, the story, I was halfway through this story. And uh, people, after Jesus does such a demonstration, people still don't want to believe. That's why many people say, oh, but why don't the yogis make more miracles? And, because it doesn't prove anything. Even Jesus, who created some incredible stuff, then people accused him that he was demonized himself, that he was a bad person, that he was going to destroy the state of Israel by making the Israelis loving the Romans too much. Ah? You have to be like Barabbas, a terrorist and a patriot. That's what a real Jew should be. If you give a hug to the Romans, you are a collaborator, you are a traitor. And then Israel can disappear. So Jesus was making people hug the Romans. He even gave spiritual help to some Romans. While the Jewish patriots were like, kill them, expel them, out of our land. Bah, bah, bah. Patriotism in the super manipuristic way. No, And I'm telling you all this to make you understand that Jesus was constantly accused. And uh, because of his path of the heart and all that. But... Actually, the attitude of Jesus is very much on Manipura sometimes and very much on Ajna, very clear. And Jesus tries to use with people 
something which for me is brilliant. He's trying to use a sort of a Socratic logic. You know, Socrates was famous for this, that whenever people ask some difficult questions, Socrates said, let's go to the basics. A, one plus one makes two. A and B makes C. If this is so, then that is so. Socrates used various forms of Greek logics. The science of logics was very developed in ancient Greek because philosophy had to be based on logics. It didn't have to be absurd. And uh, there were syllogisms and other statements which were like aphorisms. Like if this is true and this is true, then the logical conclusion is this one and it cannot be in any other way. And Jesus is trying to use the same common sense, which uh, pay attention because this is indeed one of the major problems of today. Especially starting with the 1960s when the hippies started smoking too much grass and taking all sorts of mystical doctrines and making a banana salad out of it. People started writing crap books. There is almost no crap book written before 1960 about yoga and spirituality. My goodness, the amount of crap books written after the 1960s is like a tree blossoming suddenly. Hundreds and hundreds of crap literature which perhaps should have been given to Greta Thunberg so she could save some trees with it, you know, because like all those books are just a waste of energy and paper. Everybody who wanted to write something, they wrote, you know, it's like, there is a famous theory, which even I have to fight with it because half of my pupils have read or heard something like this. And it's more uh, that the chakras have the colors of the rainbow. The first chakra is red, the second is orange, the third is yellow, and the fourth is green. If any one of you will ever demonstrate that the third chakra is yellow and the fourth chakra is green, I promise that I will stop teaching yoga as long as this physical body still lives. Because it's completely not true. That's a nonsense. Then why did this woman destroy hundreds of trees and produce the book which lists this crap on it? Why didn't she just shut up and cultivate some olive trees or raise her cats in peace and not spoil trees by, in the minds of so many people by writing all this crap? That's what I'm talking about. That unfortunately, there has been a lot of this nonsense nonsense uh, there is some American movement called about ascended masters it was started by Helena Blavatsky who was a bit nuts but not too much it was continued by Liedbitter and Annie Besant who were a bit nuts but not that much and then it started going really nuts when it reached in the hands of uh, Alice Bailey who started writing a lot of things which were not verified and not true, because she knew them. She knew them. No, but they were not coming from tradition, masters, or any reliable sources. No? And then, suddenly, you know how it is in the Hollywood movies. Uh, you need to have a black person. I have been accused of racism 
in this recent scandal two years ago, there were a few postings who said we think Swami Vivekananda is racist because there are not black people coming to the courses of Agama. They are all very welcome, but apparently they like more beating drums, beating jungle, jungle drums than doing headstands. You know, what do I know? You know, I'm open for everybody. There is not anybody who selects black people or yellow people at the door of the hall. You know, so it's like everybody is welcome. And we have people from everywhere in the world, you know. So, but that's why I say in the Hollywood movies nowadays, there is a committee on discrimination where he says you have to have a black person, you have to have an Asian person. Now, recently, in the last 20 years, you have to have a Latina, Latino person. And, of course, you have to have a Jewish person. Like, if in a Hollywood movie you don't have these characters, it's racial discrimination. And then guess what happened? It started coming in spirituality. The masters of the East, as described by Baird Spalding, and as described by Helena Petrovna Blavatsky and so on, they were the great guys from Shambhala, uh, the Rumis and Milarepas and those kind. Um, there was a problem. First of all, not enough of them were women. And weren't they supposed to be 50-50? Actually, when a statistics was made in British India in the 1930s, the British made a survey, who does yoga in this country? And they found out that there were 125,000 people doing yoga. Out of those, one was a woman, five were men. There were five times more men doing yoga than women. Not because women were not talented, but because the Indian society was very repressive to women, the parents didn't allow girls, young girls, to go in some ashram and do yoga because then it means they could fuck with anybody they wanted and they had to keep their virginity because their virginity was for sale or whatever other social things were there. And therefore, there was so much pressure on women that when you read the life of Mirabai, when you read the life of other female mystics, like Majik Labdron in the Tibetan Nepali tradition and others, you always see that the family was really hard on women, while men, if they were wild enough and they wanted to go in an ash. So the society was not equal for men and women. And then if there were five times more male yogis than female yoginis, wouldn't it be logical to assume that there were five times more enlightened male saints than female saints? Because the whole basis was starting from a skewed thing. It was not even from the start. And you could blame the society and you could blame a lot of things, but it was not there. No? So these people who started coming with ascending, ascended masters and so on, uh, there has to be a black one. Like if you don't have a black master from Shambhala, then how will the black people of North America feel themselves represented in Shambhala? And of course, there has to be a Muslim one. And there has to be a yellow one. And there has to be this. And, and then, uh, it's not only about the race. Like, uh, hey, there is a master in Shambhala, which is responsible, guess with what? I, like, I really knew it, theoretically, that the North Americans are shot through their brains with this thing, with the money. 
But when I traveled first in North America to do workshops there in 2005 or something, then I had the cultural shock of being in Canada, being in the United States, and seeing how those people were about money. Money was their God. You shouldn't write on the dollar, in God we trust. They don't do it anymore, by the way. It's become politically incorrect. It offends some people. So now they want to print dollars without God or anything. Now on the dollar, it should be written actually, in this God we trust. No? And uh, guess what did this uh, hippie, yuppie, whatever, new age people who started inventing ascending masters do? Oh, there is a master in uh, the Shambhala who is in charge of the stock exchange. <laughs> For most of the traditional people, if you go to Mount Athos in Greece and you ask a monk living in a monastery in Mount Athos, or if you go in Iran in a Sufi Muslim place and you ask them about this, they will both tell you that the stock exchange is the great Satan. That the stock exchange is one of the most satanic manifestations on this planet. And ever since it has appeared, spirituality has gone down and evil has gone up and greed has gone up and materialism has gone up and so on. But for some Mount Shasta teachers from America, there is a Al-Kutumi or San Germain or somebody who takes care of the stock exchange. Because most of the honest Americans, they have some money in stocks and bonds and this. And hey, you don't want everybody to go poor, do you? No. This is what I'm saying, that people invent a mysticism just to please themselves. They don't care about what is true and what is not true. And that's why these things with demons, that you say, that thing is demonic, that thing is demonic, that thing is demonic. Ramakrishna, he used to say all the time that the cause of pain, every time when people said, you know, this is happening, what to do about this and so on, Ramakrishna had a mantra. He said, the woman and the gold. He didn't mean the woman like women are wrong because Ramakrishna was worshipping the women, not only his wife. Ramakrishna was worshipping the, the hookers from the red light district of Calcutta. He didn't care if those women were inferior in social condition or considered impure. He considered every woman as the dwelling place of the goddess, as the manifestation of the goddess. So he had reverence and worship towards women. But he constantly, when people said, why this, 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 he said, the gold and the woman. He meant by it the sexual desire. That's what he meant by the woman, because he was talking very often to man. Most of his disciples were men. And the gold meant the greed for money. And Ramakrishna said, the greed for money and the greed for sex are the two biggest evils which make people lose their soul and do all the immoral and unethical things which happen in this world. So, basically Ramakrishna will say there is the demon of sex and there is the demon of money. Nobody wants to hear that. No, because that would make, you know, people come to a tantric school and hope they will not hear this. Hey, in Tantra we know that sex is a destructive desire and a demon 
for most people. That's why we try to do it in another way so that we do jujitsu with that sex and we turn it into the benefit of our spiritual evolution. That's why sex in a tantric school is so different from bourgeois sex, which is happening out there. That's why. Because sex done in the way of the world is inducing in the person an endless state of desire, like thirst and hunger. And in the end, it will make you take the wrong choices. It will make you make the wrong choices. So Ramakrishna was right. It's the gold and the woman. But... Of course, different lineages and different teachers approach that in another way. The Christian monks, if you'll ever bother to read the Philokalia, there are four or five volumes, depending on the edition, of the writings of the old Christian saints, starting with Maximus the Confessor in the 6th century or something, and finishing with recent, some of the Christian saints of the 18th or 19th century. And there, if you read... It's very heavy-duty Christian mystical literature, and it's about how to do your struggle, and so on. And constantly you read that the demons try to stop you from doing your prayer, like you want to do your prayer, and then the mobile telephone is ringing. And then you get busy with something, and in the evening you discover, like in the morning, I forgot to do my prayer. And they say that mobile telephone was a demon who made its synchronicity to ring at that time, to just stop you from doing your spiritual practice. Like there is no coincidence, there is nothing which doesn't make sense. And when you read that, for example, the Christian monks, they say all the demonic things, including the sexual thing that you wake up in the morning and you are horny, because in the morning everybody has a lot of hormones in their bloodstream and so on. That is, what is the root of that, when you start unfolding, when you start unfurling that, what do you find in the end? It's the demon of the stomach. That people eat too much. If monks and nuns would eat to the limit of survival, low protein diet, then they would not have sexual obsessions in the morning. Then they will not be lazy when they would have to do their prayer. So there is the demon of food. Like most people are addicted to this demon. First thing which you should do, you should become Spartan about your food. Don't look at me. I'm not a good example of looking Spartan about the food. But I still have the right to tell the truth. Even a child can tell the truth. I'm not trying to brag here that I am the best of you, and that you should follow me. But the truth is the truth, and it has to be respected. This is not, or it should not be, an ego trip. I'm talking about the fundamental principles existing in spirituality, which we all try to deal with. And thus, please be very open-minded when one like Jesus, because some people feel that it's spooky to live in a life where even good food and alcohol and everything and a fucking cigarette and sex and desire and this and that, it's all of it demons. It's like we have been parachuted in hell and everything which we do 
is potentially wrong. You know, it's like we are surrounded by potential sins and mistakes that we can do. And in a certain way, we will miss the beauty, the freedom. Like, hey, live your life beautifully and freely. That's why the true spirituality is a discrimination for understanding the real from the unreal. Like both things are true at the same time. But the fact that somebody says, ah, I'm a person who loves food a little bit too much. I'm a foodie. And according to St. Gregory Palamas of Greece, I would probably be labeled as slightly dominated by the demon of the stomach. Yes. Take it in and live your life with that. See what you can do. Refusing that truth is not making you understand or be capable to adjust your existential condition. Just because it's uncomfortable to think about it. I can't look in the mirror anymore. No, no. Look in the mirror and live with it. A great Mount Athos Christian monk reflecting this. He said before, he, because of this, he said it like a mantra. He said, keep your mind in hell. Permanently keep your mind in hell. Which means see where the problems are. Don't be negligent. The hell is keeping you sharp. It's keeping you on your toes. You are ready to dodge the bullet. And if you don't know about it, you become slow and negligent and the bullet will hit you when you expect less. The spirituality is an unentropic struggle. It's not entropy. Entropy, I hope you all know that it means that you let go. You flow with the flow. And that's entropy. But unentropy is the way of the spirit. It means you are going against entropy. You are going against chaos and against disorder. That's what our spirit wants to do. So yes, we are climbing a hill. Both Buddha and Jesus have said, the road to virtue is uphill. And the road to perdition is downhill. It's very easy to go downhill. But when you go uphill, you sweat. You have to consume calories. So going spiritual always is an effort. Unentropic. Jesus didn't put it like uphill and downhill. Jesus said there is a road which goes to perdition and which is wide and easy. And then there is a road which goes to salvation and which is narrow and hard. So take the narrow path or take the wide path. <coughs> Both of them are illustrating this, that the spiritual life is a life where one has to make constant effort. And this constant effort is not always easy. Here is a little detail to see how far it can go. There is a saint, which I mentioned in one of my lectures in my yoga courses, who is called Saint Mark of Ethiopia. He's one of the most extreme saints that we have heard about, and nothing is left from him except a thread from his beard, which is like three meters long, and it's rolled around a piece of wood and has been preserved in some monastery in, uh, in the Near East. In the I don't know, don't ask me what monastery you can go and 
Google, go to Wikipedia and see who was Saint Mark of Ethiopia and find him and see where his body was never found and so on. So the guy who found him, Saint Mark of Ethiopia, was being served food by angels. Like he didn't even need food. They materialized food for him. They, when he died, two lions came from the desert of Africa and they dug a hole and they buried his body. Lions buried this man. Completely idiotic animals. They were guided by a providential force and they served as undertakers for Mark of Ethiopia. And the list of what this guy could do, he is the one who moved the mountain. He said, are there people who can tell to that mountain move? And then the mountain started moving just because he said the word. But one thing which I didn't tell was Mark of Ethiopia was naked. He was very hairy like a gorilla because he didn't have clothes and his body had adapted. He had lived alone for a pro for apparently for 90 years and he died at the age of 138 and his body although he never washed his body was smelling of incense there was a perfume coming from his body which smelled like frankincense he lived in the desert he didn't have water to wash himself there was no personal hygiene for mark of ethiopia and when this guy who discovered him, the man who had the last conversation with him, there was one man who met him after 90 years of loneliness. He noticed that Mark of Ethiopia almost had no nails. And he said, what happened with your hands? And he said, the devil was trying to throw me out of my cave to stop my spiritual practice. And I was holding like this. To the ground in my cave and my nails slowly all of them got broken like turned over like this everybody who does psychology that's again the angle of our beloved materialistic psychologist would say there are no demons there are no devils all the conflict was in his own head fact is that this man fought with himself or with something outside himself who broke his nails. Like imagine what hell did he go through to reveal his real self and to reach to God. Now he was living with the angels and even the animals, lions, came and licked his hands and served him. But to reach there this man at some point had such a conflict because a part of him wanted to go out. Like in the life of Pi, where this boy is with a tiger in a boat, and in the end you find out there was no tiger, it was just his inner demons. No? The same demons, Mark of Ethiopia had them, and he fought with himself. It's like somebody who beats himself and says, I'm horny. Pak, 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 stop being horny. Pak, 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 you know? It's like, are you willing to go that extra mile? Are you willing to fight with the darkness inside you or outside you? It depends which, wherever you want to place it. No? And that's why I say, people say, you know, people said, oh, we know about some people who came to Agama and suffered. Not enough, if you ask me. Not enough. 
If you think you came here to have fun, wait a little bit until the boat starts rocking really hard, until the roller coaster starts, and then you will see when you have to give up your egoism, when you have to give up your greed, when you have to give up this and when you have to give up that, how many nails are you going to break onto yourself? That's not because Tantra is bad or Agama is bad or Swami is bad. Always in spirituality, there is a war. You are at a war and you're going to say, yeah, but I know of some people who did this work peacefully. There are people who are 99% enlightened, bodhisattvas. There are people who have a very good karma. And for those people, the spiritual path is light and easy. But I have also seen people for whom their spiritual path has been fraught with difficulties. Fraught with difficulties. A lot of difficulties. A lot of challenges. So, you cannot measure things by this, if it's pleasant or not pleasant or something. So, of course, an attitude like this one of Jesus is an attitude which is very combative. It's an attitude which is simply because Jesus said, don't think I came to bring peace. Like all the Miss Universe, silly Svadistana girls, you know, who say, what do you want to... If you had a toast, what would you drink for? World peace. World peace. All the bimbos want to drink for world peace. You know? But that's not Jesus says, I did not come to bring peace. But a sword. How many Jews killed how many Jews? Because some of them loved Jesus and some of them did not. Jesus did not come to bring peace. He came to separate those who go to the left and those who go to the right. But aren't we all one? Yes, we are all one. And if you put your finger on the table and smash it with a hammer, you will be one with a very, very painful finger. So stop this nonsense that being one means that everything is wonderful and everybody is wonderful. It's not true. It's simply not true. So, Jesus is trying to give them a Socratic reasoning. He tries to use common sense. Because as I told you, people talking about ascended masters or other new age things, they started losing common sense. I remember I went with an acquaintance who was a solid Danish engineer with a swimming pool in the basement of his house and who driving a red Porsche, like an engineer who made big money and who was successful, a member of the Rotary Club and stuff like that. And I took him to one of these alternative fairs in Copenhagen when they, where everybody was coming. And I could see that his face was getting longer and longer as we were going from stand to stand. He op- there was obviously something upsetting this man and making him worried. And then, after we went about 50% of this fair, he couldn't stop himself anymore. He really needed to know. So he pulled me by the sleeve, you know, he pulled me in a corner and he said, Narciss. The, my name before being a Swami was Narciss. I was not Swami Vekananda at that time. And he said, Narciss, I hope you realize that everything which is happening in this hall, like at least 80% of it is baloney. 
And I clapped him on the shoulder and I said, sure, Finn, of course I know. I'm also an engineer. Like, I know that most of these people are crazy and that they are preaching absurd things. The, the so-called alternative world of today, at least 80% of it is bazako, is baloney. It's just crazy shit being preached. I don't even bother to analyze, like, does it mean that 80% of the people in the alternative world are gaga in their heads? Maybe. Maybe. So, fact is that there is a lot of funny stuff happening and Jesus is trying to bring them to the common sense. One of the very common sense teachers of yoga a Belgian guy, very mulatharistic in a way, very Andre van Lisbeth, who was one of the most proeminent yoga teachers in Europe in the 1950s and 60s. And he was very solid, very beautifully writing, you know, nothing exalted, not like always writing about yoga in a very precise and informative way, practical. And people ask him, who is your guru? What lineage are you transmitting us? And Andre van Lisbeth gave a wonderful answer. No, he answered in French because he was French Belgian and he was writing in French most of the time. The yoga magazine and his books are written in French. And he said, My guru is Swami Bonsens Ananda, which, in case you don't know French, Bonsens would be the equivalent of common sense in English. So he said, My guru is called Swami Common Sense Ananda. Because most people in spirituality, they don't even have common sense. They are lost into some really uh, funny things there. And Jesus is trying to come up with some common sense thing first. Like, you know, it's like, are you crazy, guys? Don't be stressed if you want to go. Please go. Don't worry. I mean, it's not taken as an insult or anything. Everybody who wants to stay, stays. Everybody who needs to go, needs to go. It's fine. So... So Jesus is telling them, you know, it's like you are telling me because people said this man drove out a demon from that mute guy, but he drove out that demon with some bigger demon. And Jesus is first of all giving them the mantra, the principle, by saying something which you should remember always. Any kingdom divided against itself will be ruined, and the house divided against itself will fall. Even I can confirm to you that in Agama, two years ago, there existed division. And this just produced the outside events which exploded in our face. That's why for me now, when I'm doing the new Agama, for those of you who want to come and learn yoga and so on, the first thing which I care is that there should be no division. If you are divided inside Agama, you are not welcome to Agama. Please go and find something which can fulfill your heart. If you are with me, 100%, stay and learn. If not, I, this doesn't apply to the beginners. We never apply this to people who come to level 1, 2, 3, to our work. Those people don't even know what Agama is. They haven't tasted the quality of our teachings. They don't know how extraordinary is what happens here. And of course, we nobody could ask there to ask loyalty from people who don't know. 
But if you have gone a little bit deeper in Agama, then I want to apply this principle. A house divided against itself will fall. Remember this, because there are examples in this world where people had a lot of solidarity and they won. And there were examples where people were divided and they lost a lot. You can see that in countries. In your mind, try to think about a country where everybody fights against everybody. And try to think about another country where there is a lot of solidarity between the people from the same country. You will have a lot of good answers. And see, where does it go? So now, he comes to the trumps. He comes to the point. Like, this is the principle. If any kingdom divided against itself will be ruined, and a house divided against itself will fall. Are you a house divided against yourself? Is half of you wanting to live in luxury, and half of you wants to live in a cave like Milarepa? You are divided. You will fall. You will not achieve great success. You have to take a decision at some point. Ah, maybe it's not necessary to live in a cave to do successful yoga. But at least find a way. There is always an intelligent solution to these things. So it's very important to not be divided. Would you like to perform spirituality with sex included? Or would you like to perform spirituality without sex? You can't have both at the same time. Don't be divided. Decide. Choose your path and decide. At least you can say for the next one year, I want to do my life like this, like this, like that. I don't know what will happen after one year. I shall reevaluate. But right now I want to have peace and convergence. I want to focus. And therefore for one year, I decide I want to do this. And this in this one year, everything is flowing wonderfully. In NLP and modern uh, mind programming, affirmations and this, this is called contradictory signals, that you are giving yourself conflicting signals. There are people who see the video called The Secret and they say, I want money, I want money, I want money. And then they say, Donald Trump and all the billionaires are a bunch of assholes. You don't want to be rich. Because if you wanted to be rich, you would love and admire the people with money. But the fact that you criticize them, it's like, how are you going to be rich? You are going to be the one billionaire in this world who is not an asshole? Actually, you are giving yourself conflicting signals and you are shooting yourself in the foot. No, There are people who say, uh, money is the eye of the devil. If you are going to read the book of Carson, I think, or some, the guy who wrote the book who is called The Richest Man in Babylon, one of the basic get-rich type of books, and so on. He says you have to love your money, every penny and every coin and bill, like you love your children. You have to give love to your money, because otherwise they will not stay with you. They will not stay in your house. So if you say that the money is the source of a lot of evil on this planet, and then you say, I want to get rich, you are lying to yourself. You are shooting yourself in the food. These are conflicting signals.
I could continue, but I hope you understood. And Jesus is going exactly to this principle. He says there cannot be conflicts even in hell. Even hell cannot work if it is divided against itself. And then he gives the application. So saying this, how do I argue? If Satan is divided against himself, how can his kingdom stand? Like the demons would be losing from the very beginning. But they are not. There is a soldier-like loyalty even in hell. The, the demons do the jobs which are given to them by their bosses. There is a like, military hierarchy. And they obey. And therefore, as you can see here, they, they accused him of being with Beelzebub and then he calls him Satan. In Kabbalah, in the hermetic mysticism, in uh, the Gnostic Christianity, in Sufism and others, as well as in the Greek mysteries resulted all from all the same hermetic tradition, uh, there are different names ascribed to these demonic forces. Uh, they are even masculine and feminine ones, like Shiva and Shakti, you know, like couples, and so on. And um, that's why here there is a whole science, but I would not do that in a satsang. That is something which is reserved to people who would like to study a little bit about demonology. This study is very dark and very heavy, and it takes the human mind in very dark places. So... Jesus says, I say this because you claim that I drive out demons by Beelzebub, by the devil. Now, if I drive out demons by Beelzebub, by whom do your followers drive them out? No, like other people who do exorcism and who heal demons, by whom do they do it? Why do you say that I do it by the devil? Like, what evidence? It makes no sense. It's not logical. A kingdom cannot be divided against itself. See, Jesus is not trying to give right now some metaphysical thing or to perform another miracle to enforce. He simply tries to use common sense. Like people, I just made a wonderful healing right in front of you and all you can say is that I did it by the devil. And it doesn't even make sense logically, you know, like logically, it's a pathetic explanation and excuse. No, so Jesus, as you can see, he resorts to logics. Socrates, in the Greek philosophy, Socrates is not considered to be a fully enlightened human being. He is considered to be more like a bodhisattva, like a almost enlightened, like a great sage. When you read Socrates, how he was exposing people to their own hypocrisy and lies and this, and then eventually you know what happened, I hope, that the Greek government condemned him to death because he was telling too much the truth. And Socrates was always explaining things like Jesus. Like, how can it be? How can you explain? If I do this, then why do you say that? And all that. And Socrates had a beautiful dictum, which my first spiritual teacher taught me. I was maybe 17 years old, and this old man who was my first spiritual guide, 
He simply said, when you go in spirituality, you should not lose contact with the common sense. Because God starts from common sense and then there is something extra which you can't see, the mystical part, but that is an addition to the common sense. First, everything is making sense. And that's why the way Socrates said it, he said, we cannot dispense of the reason. Even materialistic scientists, when they say what makes human beings different, why do we control the elephants and not the elephants control us? Why we who are small and weak, why are we smarter and stronger? We could wipe out the elephants tomorrow if we wanted. We could finish off the elephants off the face of this earth. So why are we stronger than the elephant? Because man, says anthropology, a materialistic science, man is a rational animal. Man is an animal endowed with reason. And elephants don't have it. So reason is already something unique. And you have to exert your reason. That's why Socrates said, we cannot dispense of the reason. The human being, first of all, should be rational. And only on top of that, the human being should be mystical. Because otherwise you do crazy stuff. You start inventing ascended masters who take care of the stock exchange. Just because it satisfies some aberrant illusion in your brain. That somehow Shambhala has to be concerned with your money or with everybody's money. But if Ramakrishna would be made to ask today, hey, should all the money disappear? If you can make like this, all the money will disappear. Of course, there will be total chaos. Total chaos. But for the souls of people, would it be better or not? I guess that somebody like Milarepa or like Ramakrishna, who are hardcore fanatics, they would say, yes, yes, let's go for it. Boom. Yes, even if there is chaos happening for the next 100 years, that chaos will be conducive to some new Milarepas and some new Ramakrishnas. We love that chaos. That's why I say, we cannot dispense of the reason. Swami Common Sense Ananda is the best guru for the beginners. Not stating absurd things. I have had friends who are in yoga, and five years ago, they were claiming that they were in telepathic touch with a mothership belonging to an alien civilization who predicted that the end of the world will come in 2018. It kind of didn't happen, right? So they made fools of themselves. No? That's what's happening when you, have, when you haven't met with Swami Common Sense Ananda for a while. No? So that's why... Jesus is trying to give them Swami Common Sense Ananda. He says, how can I? The kingdom cannot be divided. How can I divide demons with demons? Because then they are going against each other and they will fall apart. And if I do it so, then others who do it, how do they do it? Why do you say about me that I do it with the devil and others are okay? So then they will be your judges. But if I drive out demons by the finger of God then the kingdom of God has come to you. No, he says, you don't see the perspective. 
you don't see the perspective. Like why isn't the human mind ready to accept the greatest idea? Why is the human mind always trying to put down and destroy most of the beautiful, enthusiastic things? It has been said that what you believe makes you. You, you become what you believe and all that stuff. No? And then, which belief is more constructive for you? I'm going to give you a typical belief from two different forms of Christianity. I'm not telling you which is which. That doesn't matter. Because I'm not the apostle of any of them or something like this. I'm not. I don't think most of the Christians like yoga or they consider it a heresy or a demonic thing, of course, or something like that. But here it is. There are some Christians in this world who believe that Jesus was God, Avatara, born miraculously out of Mary, born in a human body, visiting the planet Earth for 33 years, in which he established a new covenant between human beings and God. And this covenant is the communion, the Christian ritual of communion. And that he sacrificed himself so that everybody can be baptized in his name and have a lot of spiritual karma removed from them automatically by grace. And that therefore Jesus has visited us and empowered us. God has been on this planet and has given you directly the gift. And there is also the idea of some other Christians that Jesus was a carpenter from Nazareth, the son, the son of another carpenter, who was somehow inexplicably possessed by the Spirit of God, and God wanted to do some miracles through him. So this guy raised some dead and walked on water, and was all the time like in the movie of Martin Scorsese or whoever was that, like, huh? Have I done that? Oh shit, you know? It's like, he was sort of like some sort of idiot that didn't know what was happening. Like this new series, which is in the Netflix, The Messiah or Messiah, where there is some confused young man who looks like a hash smoker, who doesn't know why he's doing what he's doing, you know? He's supposed to be Jesus, but he is a totally brain-dead Jesus in some way. No? He, like, it's happening, but he says, I don't know what God has in plan. No, Jesus didn't seem to be that way. So there are two possibilities. Uh, Jesus was a carpenter from Nazareth, possessed by the Spirit of God. Or Jesus was God in a human body who came and blessed and all that. Which one of these is going to benefit you most because you cannot establish the truth of it scientifically and then the only thing is that I vote for this I vote to believe this why? because 20 years later I will blossom because I believed this for 20 years it's a very good belief to put in my head because it's empowering me it's nourishing me while if I have the other belief it's much weaker. It's much weaker. It's a real stupid way of looking upon reality. That's why remember, the belief is a matter of choice. I can do it. We can do it. I know I can. I'm 
I, my intelligence can fathom this. My heart is great enough to be generous or something. Like, this is what I'm talking about. So, uh, remember that ultimately, faith, I have said it in other lectures, I don't want to ins insist now, because here we are deeply steeped in this demonic story here, that remember that the faith is something which you choose. You can say, I choose to believe in this. And then Jesus says, if I, if other people can be your judges with this and this, but if I drive out demons by the finger of God, like if I'm the real thing, then the kingdom of God has come to you. Why don't you want to believe that I, Jesus, am coming from God? Because this would empower you extraordinarily. It would give you the signal that somehow now the kingdom of God and I as living God, we have come to you. We are visiting you. We can shake your hand. We can say, here we are. Once in a million years it happens. I am here with you. No, for some people it's too much to believe. They can't make themselves believe. And then they say, there must be some trick. This guy is doing it with the demons. It's more easy to believe that than to believe something really big. <coughs> so Jesus is calling their attention. Look at you. You are always choosing the negative part. You prefer to invent something bad about me rather than uplifting your mind and saying, maybe after all, this guy is God. And then we are living out an event which nobody has seen in the known history of the world. Like, and then we should rejoice. <coughs> we should be wow over the moon because Jesus is God and is with us physically right now. When a strong man, fully armed, guards his own house, his possessions are safe. Jesus now puts it in a different way. If you <laughs> understand my truth, then you are like a strong man who guards his house. You are safe because there are demonic forces who are coming to go through the back door and destroy your house. Still, this is what people don't understand. That it's a war. It's like there are thieves out there. That's why the Boy Scouts mantra is be prepared. The Boy Scouts were fundamentalistic Christians in the 19th century and the movement of the Boy Scouts meant be prepared because Jesus can come tonight. And then you cannot say, ah, only if Jesus would have come six months later, I would have had time to do a lot of yoga and to be clean in my chakras when he showed up. Like this, he passed by me and he looked with disdain in my direction like you stink. And he went further. And it's just a matter of six months for God's sake. You shouldn't think like this. You should be prepared if he comes tonight. That's why you cannot be lazy and postpone and say I will do my spiritual practice when I get later. What if Jesus is coming tonight? You are not prepared. And you said, ah, 
I thought we can do it after the full moon party. You cannot. You have to be prepared. So therefore, <clears throat> Jesus is always creating this feeling of imminence. Like you are like a man guarding your house against thieves. Because there are thieves out there. <clears throat> thieves of a spiritual nature. Don't lie to yourself that you live in a kind world where there is no conflict and no nothing. That's simply not true. But when someone stronger attacks and overpowers him, he takes away the armor in which the man trusted and divides up the spoils. So he says, it's either you win this war with me, or you don't win this war and you lose. I remember first time when I saw uh, in just to move from Christianity to something from Hinduism, I saw for the first time a beautiful quote about Kali, the Indian goddess, the mother of time, one of the ten Mahavidyas, whose initiation we plan to give this year in the beginning of March, for those of you who haven't seen Mahavidya Yoga for a long time, because in the last two years we didn't have the manpower and other resources to give these amazing teachings. And um, Kali is a goddess which is, to a certain extent, frightening, because she's terrible, and she represents time and other things which are terrible. Like time kills everything and everybody. Even the pyramids of Egypt, if you give them enough time, they will become dust. Nothing resists to time. Even Christianity and Buddhism in a million years, they will not exist as such. Some new cycles of history are coming. Some new avatars will be coming. Humanity needs refreshment. Time is a killer. So the goddess of time called Kali, she is presented as being black with fangs like a tiger smeared in blood and terrible. She is the ultimate killer of everything, including your body. If any one of you hopes to live hundreds and hundreds of years, first you'll have to convince Kali that you deserve to live hundreds and hundreds of years. If you don't manage to convince Kali, by the time you'll be 80 or 90 or 100, Kali will wipe you out. It's as simple as that. She did wipe out everybody until now, perhaps except a few magic yogis who discreetly survived in the Himalayas or something, but there is no scientific proof, there is no evidence, so that you still live in the doubt of it. And on this presentation of Kali, there was a painting of Kali. This was, I saw it first time in the book of one of my later teachers, Swami Gitananda Giri. And there he took a quote from the scriptures, from the Hindu scriptures. Like, what's the attitude of the tantric worshippers for about Kali? Because there are many legends in India with people trying to worship Kali and going crazy and stuff like this which is a bit exaggerated, like if any one of you will take the Kali initiation, you will not go crazy 
because it's not given in that way. But some people in India, they tried some extreme, extreme practices and they pushed the envelope a bit much and it was not a harmonious way of doing things. And Swami Gitananda was writing there the, for, the following formula. If the spiritual practitioner is unprepared, Mother Kali will destroy him as unfit for evolution. You understand? If you are a fucking pygmy, spiritual pygmy, not literally, I don't have anything with uh, African pygmies. No, if you are a spiritual pygmy, which means a midget, a spiritual midget, then Kali will dance a jig on your head and crush you to pulp because you need to be reincarnated again and again and again and again and again and again and again thousands of times until you become a great soul like Milarepa. If you are not a great soul, you shouldn't uh, go like me Tarzan, you Kali, you know, because you are not Tarzan. So he said there very clearly, if the spiritual practitioner is not prepared, Kali will destroy him as unfit for evolution. If he is strong and worthy, which is expressed in India by the quality called Vira, if he is a Vira, he may resist Kali for a while. For a while. Uh, but only the one who is pure and divine, which is called in India a divya, a divya, both words I use are declinations of the same Sanskrit word, divya, divine person, like Ramakrishna, sattvic and pure, only that one can obtain the presence and the worship of Kali. So that's why I'm saying all these things that Jesus says the same. He says, either you win or you don't win, you will lose. The demons will overpower you. And you say, but Jesus, how can you let that happen? It's not a problem. You just lost one battle, but the war is very, very long. So when you lose a battle, you didn't lose the whole war. You just lo lost this one battle. So Jesus himself believes that it's not just a one try. There's many tries there. And that's why he is not uh, impressed. Like, oh my God, my, uh, I don't know, my grandfather died in sin. So what? He will try again. And after he will try another 15 times, he will die the right way, the good way. There is always another try and another try. So Jesus is very detached about this. He is not like, you know, he says either you are stronger and then the thieves will not prevail. Or if someone stronger attacks and overpowers him, takes away the armor in which the man trusted and divides up the spoils. And then he concludes because what did he mean to say by all this? And this will probably be the final statement for tonight. Jesus says something which is really incredible and coming it can come only from one like Jesus. He says, he who is not with me, therefore, because now you say if I'm with the devil or not or something. He says, he who is not with me is against me and he who does not gather with me scatters.
Like Jesus, first of all, says there are not three positions in this universe. With me, against me, and people who don't care and they are neutral. There is no neutrality. You are with me or against me. People who think they are neutral, they are probably against me. It's as simple as that. It's a very tough thing because it obliges people to choose. Like there is no place for a weak reaction in this. Jesus has told them, I'm not uh, eliminating demons with Beelzebub. <coughs> if I really am right, you are ignoring the fact that I'm bringing God right to you right now. And you are incapable to open up to such a truth. And it's going, who is going to be stronger? You, with your faith, <coughs> or the negative forces, which will overpower you and rob you. And then, he says, in the end, he who is not with me is against me, and he who does not gather with me scatters. It's a very radical statement. Of course, in fundamentalistic Christianity, it is interpreted in a sectarian way. Like if you are a Buddhist, you are not with Jesus. But what if Jesus, the consciousness of God, is the same thing which the Buddhists call the Buddha nature? Then actually the Buddhist, Buddha himself, they are with Jesus, only that they don't call him Jesus because they are not from Israel. They don't know Hebrew language. And for them, God, whom they never seen physically in a body, exists. But they have another name, a Sanskrit name, a Pali name, another name for it. So this can be interpreted in a very narrow-minded and sectarian way. Like all those who are not Christian will go to hell. Because if you are not with Jesus, it means you are not Christian. And, but Jesus doesn't mean it like this. Jesus speaks like God. And he says... All those who are not on the side of the divine forces are automatically against the divine forces. That which is symbolized by Shambhala. Jesus could equally well say, if you are not with Shambhala, you are against Shambhala. It is as simple as that. It's valid in every religion. It's valid in every religion, but people say, yeah, but I feel more like I'm with Jesus. When I hear Jesus, I feel more like, and when I read some paragraphs from the Quran, from the prophet Muhammad, I don't feel like I'm with him. But aren't both coming from the same place eventually? This is the beauty of it, that in the time of Kali Yuga, there is not just one Dharma. The Dharma has been divided in 10 or 20 different currents. There are different religions, major and minor. And Jesus says it's enough for you if you are with one of these. You can see God as coming via Muhammad, or you can see God as coming via Jesus or via Buddha. And don't argue with the people who believe in a different way. Let them go to God via Buddha and you go to God via Jesus. Or let you go to God via Krishna or Shiva and let them go to God via the Prophet Muhammad. 
your goal is not to make a quarrel with those people. Your quarrel is to choose one of these which is good for you and to be with it 110%. To be loyal to the one which you choose. But the, the tragedy is that you are with nobody. I remember, you know, it's like first time when I traveled in India, it was in 93, and we go to the Shivananda Ashram, and we find uh, a couple, I was living in Denmark at that time, and we find a couple of Danish women, a bit elderly, not super old, and um, we are we are happy, you know, like I haven't seen Danes in my circuit in India at that time, and I'm saying, wow, you are Danish, we know, well, we come from Denmark also, we live in Denmark and so on, what are you doing? We spoke Danish with each other, they were very happy and so on, I was together with a group of other Danish people, you know, so, and then we say, what are you doing? And they said, we are hanging around here in Rishikesh, and I said, what are you doing? Oh, they said, yesterday we have been to the meditation of Swami Krishnananda, this was a disciple of Shivananda, who was doing daily meditations for everybody who wanted to join. And uh, <clears throat> we have been to Krishnananda, we have been to the Divine Life Society, that was the same ashram, to do this and so on. And then I, naive as I would be even today probably, so I saying, oh, so you are with the divine life, you are with Shivananda. You know, like in Rishikesh, everybody is with uh, some ashram, with some guru, with some lineage, you know. But that's completely a forbidden thing to do in Denmark. You know, because there you are not supposed to get enthusiastic and belong to something. Nobody is somebody and all that stuff, the Yantelo and all the other things, you know. So I'm saying also you are with Shivananda. Like, you know, the form of yoga of Shivananda, the approach of Shivananda, the approach of his disciples, that's what you like most. Because you told me you've been to meditations with them, you are attending lectures with them, so you are with Shivananda. That woman stood back like I threw hot water on her. She said, no, 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 we are not with anybody. That's exactly what's happening in a relationship, right? People are afraid to commit themselves. There is no commitment, you know. Why would you be afraid to commit yourself to Shivananda? Or to Jesus? Or to the Prophet Muhammad? The important thing is that you commit, you decide, you study all the ten religions of the world, you choose the one which fits you. I like Sikhism, because the Sikhs have a lot of Manipura, and they are very warrior-like, and I want to have a Manipuristic religion. Good! Go and make yourself a Sikh tomorrow. Go and become a Sikh. Join the Sikh religion if that's really something which you like. No? Or I like Samurai. I like martial arts. Zen plus Jujutsu. Okay, go to Japan and do Zen and Jujutsu. And Aikido. But commit yourself for God's sake. Because he who is not with Morihei Ueshiba is against Morihei Ueshiba. It's not only about Jesus. It's valid in everything. Jesus talks from the position of God. And he says, whatever image or channel for God you've got, that's the truth. If you are not with me, you are against me. And if you are not gathering with me, you are wasting. This is where I'm going to start from next week. 
because it's like this is the one of the typical tricks of a form of Luciferianism of the West, which is called humanism, which is one of the dominant philosophies in the European Union and in the so-called civilized nations. Maybe you don't realize, but it has been said, I'm not saying that. You can read René Guénon and other great metaphysicians and philosophers. Humanism equal Luciferianism. It's a form of Satanism. What does humanism say? I don't believe, you can find it in Jean-Paul Sartre's play, uh, what was it called? The Master and Margareta or something. Anyway, I forgot right now in which one of them. Jean-Paul Sartre, one of his heroes, defines it like this. He says, I don't believe in God and I don't believe in the devil. I believe in human beings. If you are not with me, you are against me. There is no humanism, there is no middle neutral position. That's a lie and an illusion. If you don't believe in God, you are automatically on the other side of the seesaw. It doesn't work with half measures. Ah, you know, I don't believe in God, I don't believe, I'm not a Satanist as well, I'm not serving the devil, I'm just serving the human being. That's just Luciferianism when you say that human beings are more important than God. Because human beings are created by the Divine Spirit and there is a Dharma, there is a purpose, there is a meaning, there is a goal. It's not an accidental, phenomenal, chaotic and without synchronicity and without deep meaning to it. And that's why, that's exactly where Jesus, this is the Spirit of Jesus. Whatever you do, do it 110%. No? He, there is even a, I will take it next week, in the book of Revelation of John, the angel of God is saying exactly that in another way. No, like, you should not be lukewarm. You should not be in the middle. You should be hot or you should be cold in these matters. And therefore, Jesus throws the cat among the pigeons. It's very difficult. Again, I have lived for spirituality, with spirituality, for a long time now. I started when I was early in my life. I think I discovered the first bits of spirituality when I was 16 years old. And ever since, I'm fond of spirituality, and I'm trying to do and to find things. And for me, this is an idea which is clear. I have assimilated this idea long, long time ago when I read the words of Jesus and other such statements. But I know that always this radical approach makes people afraid. No, if somebody wants to be Christian the Jesus way, then today in America or in Europe, it's called a fundamentalistic Christian. Like, it's okay to be Christian if you are a sort of masturbating Christian, you know? If you are a floppy Christian, it's okay. Be Christian as much as you want because it means you are not doing anything and you are actually not with God. So the devil has got you. But if you are a radical Christian who goes to the letter, 
then you are a dangerous fanatic, you know. You are like the American militias who put bombs in Oklahoma City or some. No, you are, uh, no, this is fundamentalistic Christians. And, they are, and then we have fundamentalistic Muslims, which are also very dangerous. And we have fundamentalistic Jews, which are maybe not dangerous because you cannot say anything bad about the Jews. It's, it's taboo. It's Kinjiru. But uh, they, are, uh, they are ridiculous. They are those guys with curls and something. And still fundamentalistic, even Jewish. It's maybe not very dangerous, but not good still and so on. Uh, they are fundamentalistic Buddhists, which also are a sort of fanatics. These are the guys who gave the swastikas to Mussolini and to Hitler and uh, this fundamentalistic Buddhism from Central Asia. Uh, there is something very war manipuristic. And then there are fundamentalistic Hindus who go dressed in black and they killed Mahatma Gandhi. Or so. Every time when you say fundamentalistic, it's like it's wrong. But Jesus is explicitly asking you, to be fundamentalistic something. You can be a fundamentalistic yogi, accepting all the religions as coming from God, you, and find a peace, find a common line between them, as we try to do in a satsang like this, to show you that there is a common truth, it's not a sectarian truth. There is a divine truth behind all these divisions in different religions. But as you can see, the people of religion... They ask you to follow spirituality fundamentalistically, like strong. Not like, ah, oh, you know, I was doing some yoga. I was like, this is a floppy hand, you know. It's not the way you do yoga. No? It's like it has to have the spirit of power, of do it powerfully. So Jesus simply says, okay, if you are not with me or against me, go to hell for 5,000 years. Then when you have suffered enough, you'll come back and you'll say, you know what? This time we really are with you. You know, it's like we kind of did bite the dust a little bit and we decided that it was the wrong choice we made 5,000 years ago. So therefore it's like, no, he tells the same to the Jews. He knows that especially the Jewish priests, while some Jews became apostles, all the 12 apostles were Jewish. You know, the apostles of Christianity were all of them Jews. But while some of them became the greatest Christians in the universe, some of them were not believing. And then the priests, especially the this authority people. And Jesus told them at some point, he says, you shall not see me again before you learn to cry. It's a prophecy. That many, much of the Jewish mysticism is going in the wrong direction because it does not embrace Jesus. And you are going and going to say, we can do without that man who came and produced scandal. And Jesus says, one day you will cry so much and you'll come back to me. But unfortunately, you want to bang your head against the wall and suffer when it would be so easy to pay attention to what I'm telling to you. Because in the beginning, remember, the Christians were Jews and the Jews were Christians. It started from there. Thus, Jesus is fascinating to the world, especially through this 
No, like there is no compromise. There is no, and I wish you could take something from this strength of Jesus and do it in whatever you do. If you want to be vegetarian, be vegetarian. If you want to be non-violent, be non-violent. If you want to read the Quran in three months, read the Quran in three months. Let it not be three months and one day. Read it in three months minus one day. Go 110% instead of 100%. Go full on. Do That's the spirit. With this spirit, you are succeeding. That's the only way to succeed and to be fully into the spiritual adventure. It is enough for tonight. We debated some heavy issues which usually provoke people and make them uh, uncomfortable. Remember that in satsangs there are no questions and answers because I have to present something. But in this school, there are always the possibility to catch me in a lecture or another or in the Q&As on Tuesdays when I'm sitting there and answering your questions. So if I said something which provoked you too much tonight, then ask me about it on Tuesday and we can go deeper and I can tell you where I did get the knowledge, the inspiration, the shastras, the traditional literature and all the things which go there. So with this, we are done for tonight. Thank you all for joining and resisting to this little marathon and I hope to see you further on in the coming activities of Agama. As you know, we have some very beautiful things coming up. The Kashmiri Shaivism workshop, which is one of a kind. The Bhakti Yoga workshop, which is another one of a kind. The Mahashivaratri, which is out of this world. And therefore, a very rich period is coming, a very rich time is coming, where you would experience wonderful things here in Agama. Thank you all for all this, and see you along.